You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to the second hour of the program. Uh, Timmy Manor is going to join us. In this hour, Sean Bruce from the Sydney Kings will also be my guest this morning. And in just a few minutes' time, we'll go across to New Zealand where BBC, uh, BBC Sports chief cricket writer Stefan Schemmelt will try and break down what all meant yesterday from the incredible one-run win by New Zealand over England. If you missed it, Andrew Webster tipping that the Mitchell Moses signing news out of Parramatta could happen as early as today. So uh, that news we are expecting, well, Webby's expecting that to come out of the Eels today. He's going to lock in a deal, probably four years. Uh, it's good money, not as big as what the West Tigers were offering, but it appears as though Mitchell Moses, that deal we can lock in. The CBA, well, where's that at? Perhaps done and dusted by tomorrow uh, with the start of the Premiership proper tomorrow night. As we know, at the Bulldogs, Luke Thompson has been ruled out nasty ankle injury yesterday, at least six months he will be on the sideline. You probably heard in the news there too, uh, out of the Roosters camp that both Victor Radley and Egan Butcher have recommitted to the Roosters. So long-term extension for Victor Radley. He'll be there at least until the end of 2027. So a four-year extension. And for Egan Butcher, a two-year extension to the end of 2025. So a fair bit of rugby league news around. As you'd expect, we're just one day away from the start of the season itself. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. Let's go there first. Mark from Wollongong is on the line. Good morning to you, Mark. Hey, Maddie. Uh, in regards to the top eight, I think the Broncos. I reckon the Broncos are a big sleeper for the year. The talent in that team is so definitely. I can't see them not making it. They're an interesting one, Mark. A really interesting one. And I go back to the chat that Maddie. Johns and I had last week and there was a word that Matty used or a phrase that Matty used that got me thinking about the Broncos and he said I just can't trust them I think we all agree with you mate that they've got the talent there there's no question about it but you just can't trust them and I thought why why not why can't we you know it's a gut feel kind of thing um, I think there's still some fairly sizable question marks around uh, how all this plays out with Kevy Walters in charge. We know what Selwyn Cobbo said beforehand. I mean, they're going to be under the pump because they're the Broncos. And they're facing a challenge like they've never had before with the Dolphins rocking up in town and pinching a couple of their players for years going forward. So I think you're right. If they can get it all together, then they're certainly a threat. Do you still think that they've got everything in order housewise to make sure that they're in the top eight? Oh. Look, I think their, their talent, their team, their squad is... I suppose the question mark is the coach. That's what it is, I think, mm. of Kevin. Everyone likes Kevin Walters, but that's the, I think it's the coaching. That's the big question mark. But when I look at their squad, I look at Flegler, Carrigan, even people like Kobe Harrington. Mm. Um, this Blake Moser, who's coming through as their hooker, he is an absolute gun. Reese Walsh, Selwyn Cobbo. Look at their centre pairing. Ezra Mann, Adam Reynolds stays fit. I can't see them not playing finals. 
Yeah, it's it's a fair old team, and you make a good point. I mean, I couldn't find mate any any time for them in my top eight. Um, I think there's just some some questions hanging for me. You know what? It'd be one of those classics if if you had six weeks to <laughs> if we had six weeks to sort of see where the lay of the land is, life would be so much easier. But at this stage, I can't find any room for them in my top eight. Good on you, Mark. Appreciate your call. Stay on the line. I'll put you back to Alex. Uh, We'll put you in the running for that $50 Bunnings Warehouse voucher. Thanks to WD40. A couple of text lines. Uh, Maddie. I can't be the only Cowboys supporter who feels like they have imposter syndrome. Everyone's been tipping the Cowboys to finish near the top of the table, but I can't feel confident until well into the year. Well, that goes to my point. It'd be great if we could do this, you know, a few, uh, a month or so down the track. But that's a surprise for me that Webby's got them finishing on top. I've got them in the top eight, but I haven't got them in the top four. Um, When I scribbled these down essentially yesterday, I I can tell you the changes that I made yesterday to my top eight as I was doing it. I've got the Panthers finishing on top. Then I've got the Rabbitohs finishing in second. Then I've got the Roosters in third. Originally, I had those two and three spots the other way. But the more I lean towards the cream rising to the top, the more I think that the bunnies are going to be there at the back end of the season. And I can't see any reason why they're going to face too many hiccups along the way. Sharks, for me, have been sensational over the last couple of years. House in order, no problems about it. Yes, they had an easy run uh, draw-wise or an easier run draw-wise last year, but I've got them in the top four and they'll play a big part, I reckon. That meant that I had to push the Cowboys down a little bit. I also found room for Manly. I think Manly are going to be a team with a bullet this season. The Eels, last year's grand finalists, I've got them down in seventh, um, kind of under duress against myself, to be honest. And the Storm, you've regular listeners over the last couple of weeks would have um, known what's been going on inside my head with the Melbourne Storm. On that, boys... Right off the storm again. Makes me laugh every year I hear the negative negative, uh, thoughts towards the storm. Obviously means nobody in the media actually pays any attention to the list. Hashtag the infiltrator. Well, no, I I think it's the other way. I actually think it's the other way. Uh, The thing that kept me from writing off the storm, as, as you put it, and I've got them in the eight, is the fact that they've still got that list. But they're one or two injuries away from losing some absolute key players and Pappenhausen's a big out for me and the history as well. So there are plenty of people riding off the storm. I, I, I am denied about putting them into the top eight. The thing that got them in for me was the fact that they've got those players still there and they've done it before lost players bounce back. I think there's still a few what ifs around the Melbourne storm. Am I riding them off by just getting them sneaking into the eight? Yeah, I'm writing them off to win the premiership. I don't think they can. But I think they can be there at the back end of the season because they're the Melbourne Storm. That's why. Simple as that. 0457 736 736. The Pearl says, Matty, I'm fine with everyone riding off the Dragons. I reckon they could be like going out for a beer with very little money. You find a pineapple in a jacket pocket you haven't worn in a while. It's a very pleasant surprise. (laughs) How many Dragons supporters would like a pleasant surprise this year. Rightio, let's talk cricket. A fascinating finish to the test match over in New Zealand. This has captured the attention of, well, the cricketing world. 
and we know that England have been just on the tear lately with their style of play, what they've been doing for Test cricket, and I thought they were home yesterday until the wickets started to fall and Stokes and Root weren't there at the back end. This is how it played out, a one-run win for New Zealand. Ooh, there's a top edge. Incredible scenes. James Anderson, Court Blundell, Bold Wagner, the last wicket to fall, and they win it by one run. Just the second team in Test history to claim a victory in a Test match by the single run. On the line from BBC Sport, their chief cricket writer, Stefan Schemmelt, joins us. Stefan, good morning to you. There is nothing wrong with Test cricket. There isn't, <laughs> is there? Um, yesterday was incredible. One of the most... Um, amazing sporting occasions I think I've ever seen as well not just cricketing occasions to be in Wellington to see that finish which no one expected certainly not whatever it was three days ago when England were enforcing the follow-on with New Zealand 226 behind but there you have it James Anderson the number 11 40 years old in his 179th test match shuffling out to the middle at the Basin Reserve to try and get the seven runs needed to win when he clubbed the four off Neil Wagner, there was no one left in their seats. Um, and you thought he was going to do it. He was going to pull off, you know, another another amazing chapter in that incredible career. But it wasn't to be. And Wagner, who was amazing, really, throughout the day, the way he kept running in and banging the ball in halfway down. And England's batters just kept falling into his trap. It was a sensational effort from him. You know, all in all, whether you, you think that England should have nailed that match down. Um, they lost after enforcing the follow-on, and Australian cricket teams know a thing or two about that. I think it's almost beside the point. It's what England have been trying to do over the past year is breathe some life into the test format, and they've definitely done that. Oh, no question. Did I read it right? I think it was in one of your articles that uh, Jimmy Anderson, for everything that he's done in the game, and what a legend he's still yet to hit the winning runs in a test match. It's not his job, by the way, but he's that was his chance yesterday. It's absolutely true. And it's also been a bit of a running theme with England over the past 10 months or so. So if you cast your mind back to when England chased 380-something at Edgebaston against India last summer, as they were approaching the winning moment, Ben Stokes wandered over to James Anders and said, do you want to put your pads on? And if a wicket goes down, do you want to go and hit the winning runs? James Anderson told him where to go. Oh. <laughs> and he was asked about it before the first test here in New Zealand. He said, and he asked, why? Why don't you want to do it? And he said, I just don't like batting. I'm a bowler. I don't want to go and bat. I never like batting. Why would I want to go and hit the winning runs? Well, whether he wanted to or not, he had the chance yesterday. And wouldn't it have been sensational? And it wasn't to be, and I think he probably had the chance, you know, that, that the four that he hit off Wagner, he got plenty of other opportunities to do that. Um, he was a bit cross because the ball before, he thought should have been called wide. Wagner pulled quite a lot of bounces to Anderson in that 
in that short spell. Anderson was looking back at the umpire, asking why it wasn't called wide. And then the next ball, he got that little tickle down the leg side. The ball nestled in the gloves of of Tom Blundell and the amazing test match was over. What's the general gist uh, now that we've had, you know, a little bit of time between the spectacular end and, and us talking now, the general gist about whether it was wide or not. I mean, it seems over this side of the fence and we had Ian Smith on our breakfast show this morning and even Smithy goes, yeah, look, I, th- I think it was wide. I reckon nine out of 10 people, Steph would, would say that was wide. Yeah. I'll be honest at the time. I didn't have too much of a problem with the call, I think maybe in another part of the game, um, when there wasn't only two runs to win, maybe the umpire gives that. It's like in football, isn't it? Is it a foul? It's a, probably a foul outside the penalty box, but once it gets in there, it's harder to give the penalty. I don't think I'd want to have been the umpire making that call. Um, easier to do, obviously, in limited overs cricket, much harder in a test match. Was it cut and dried wide? I don't think so, and therefore for that reason, it's very hard to call, particularly at that time of the game. You mentioned the follow-on. So the, the basball error has been broken down, you know, to the nth degree. And we now know exactly where it sits in the game and what it can deliver. Do you think that England walk away from yesterday going, we change anything about our approach or this is going to happen in our approach where sometimes we're just going to come up against it and it's not going to work? And by sometimes, I only mean... Well, not too many times in what the last 10 or 12 tests. There is not a chance England will change their approach. And if they find themselves up against it um, in the summer, and we all know what's coming then, they will just go harder. That will always be their mantra. If they, if they run into an obstacle, if they have a bad result, they will just say, we will go harder next time. The follow-on is an interesting one in that, I don't necessarily think it was a particularly basball decision. It seemed like a sound cricketing one at the time. When England had bowled New Zealand out, they had a lead of 226. Um, they bowled them out pretty cheaply twice in the previous test match. The pitch was green, the sky was grey. It seemed like a time to be bowling. But what England ran into was obviously Kane Williamson with the bit between his teeth. We didn't know really at that moment that Ben Stokes' knee was so limiting to how many overs he would be able to bowl. And Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad, they just began to get tired. It was a remarkable fight back from New Zealand. I think to to criticise the decision to follow on would also be slightly disrespectful to the way that New Zealand played because they were magnificent to come back. I think England would do the same all over again. And when Ben Stokes made that decision, I didn't hear many people saying it was the wrong one. What about the performances of Joe Root at the age of 32? Didn't score too many against South Africa in that series. Got going against Pakistan, but delivered big time here. 153 not out and 95 yesterday. His efforts have been sublime. Yeah, and I think Joe Root's been really honest with us, actually, over the past um, couple of weeks in that... He made 300 in the first four tests after, after giving away the captaincy. And then nothing. He went eight tests without 100. That's his longest run without a three-figure score in two years. And he came out and he said to the press, look, those first few tests when Ben Stokes was captain, I was just relieved not to be the skipper anymore. I was batting with freedom. I was enjoying my cricket. But then he had to stop and take stock and think, well, where do I fit in in this new style of play? And he admitted I got a bit carried away. I moved away from what made me who I am. I tried to keep up with all the other guys who were scoring so quickly. 
And what I forgot is that when I'm at my best, I score quickly anyway. I play low risk drop. I play low risk, low risk shots. And he's one of the best, if not the best batters in the world when Joe Root does what Joe Root does. Um, and so this last test match in Wellington, you've seen him really back to his best, which of course is timely for England with the challenges that are ahead over the next six and 12 months. And a Joe Root that um, underpins, I guess, all of those stroke players in the England batting lineup um, can only be good news for Ben Stokes' team. Final question for you for this English team. So time to take a break and then it's into the big one. So what kind of English team do we see for the Ashes? Do you think they're going to be tired? Will they have enough time to refresh? So the concern is all about Ben Stokes' knee, isn't it? We've seen him hobbling through this test match. What sort of role is he going to be able to play? Now, the influence that Ben Stokes has over this team at the moment, he would be in the 11, even if he had to field in a wheelchair and bat at number 11. That is the impact that he has on the other 10 players around him. He just makes them better. But England need him to be bowling in the ashes in particular because without him doing that job, the team looks completely unbalanced and an older attacker, including Anderson and Broad, is exposed. The concern is he's now going off to the IPL. Now, he says he can rest and manage his knee through that and hopefully come back fit and firing for the summer. That is one big concern for England. The other not concern but decision is how do they get Johnny Bairstow back into this team? He was in amazing form um, last summer. Then he broke his leg on the golf course. And since then, Harry Brook has come in and ripped all the record books up, batting at number five. So if Bairstow does come back, and we're all led to believe that he will, one of Brooke or Bairstow is going to have to move around in the order. Now, is that at the expense of Zach Crawley opening, Ollie Pope at number three, or does Ben Folks make way behind the stumps and Johnny Bairstow takes the gloves? Those are the decisions for England to make. It's a nice problem for England to have because for a number of years we haven't had enough batters. Now we've got too many. And England will feel, even though they lost in Wellington yesterday, if they can get Ben Stokes' knee in good shape, they are as well-prepared and well-placed for an Ashley series as they, have been, as they have been for a number of years. Good on you, Stefan. Thanks for your time this morning. Look forward to talking uh, throughout the Ashes in particular. Enjoy your time over there in New Zealand. Get a bit of time off. Cheers, Matty. Always a pleasure to talk. Thanks for having me on. Stefan Schemmelt on the line there. So the next Test match for England will be at Edgebaston versus Australia. That's 16th to 21st of June. By the way, the fifth Test... Uh, what would be day four of the fifth and final Ashes test will be Jimmy Anderson's 41st birthday. So imagine if it goes down to the wire and it comes all the way to the crunch and bingo. He celebrates his birthday. No, I think it's day three. I think it's day three. It's the 30th of July. So day three. Imagine if it's in the hands of Jimmy Anderson on his birthday over there at home. I mean, it's all it's all penciled in. Anything's possible under this team. Brendan McCullum record, his record as coach of the English team, 11 wins, one draw, and now five losses. They're just, as I mentioned, the second team to win a test match by a single run. The Windies did it against Australia in 1993 at Adelaide, and they're the fourth team to win a test match after being asked to follow on. England twice against Australia back in 1894, then 1981 and India in 2001. So congratulations to New Zealand. What a test match it was. 0457 736 736. Text line, we'll talk more footy after this.